Okay, hi, this is Bella from A Couple Acres Greener Podcast, and today I am joined by Amy Newday, who is a professor at Kalamazoo College. Um, she is currently teaching a food and farming justice experiential pathways class, and we'll be taking, um, we will be teaching a slow farming seminar, senior seminar, in the spring. She is also co-owner of Harvest of Joy Farm. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bella. <laughs> um, so I was wondering if you could start off by talking a little bit more about yourself and how you got into farming. Mm. Well, I was born into farming. I was born mm-hmm. on a small family dairy farm. Mm-hmm. And now I, well, I when I was in my early 30s, I started a fruit and vegetable CSA on that farm. And now I am growing seeds. Awesome, awesome. So what are some of the challenges of being a small farmer? (laughs) So the challenges of being a small farmer, I would say, are that our whole system, our food system, our agricultural policies are all set up to um, encourage large farmers, to support large farmers, um, Mm -hmm. to to support the, the... consolidation of farms Mm -hmm. um and so and so there are many challenges but they all kind of relate back to that 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 our whole system is really set up to consolidate farmland and um and farm ownership into the hands of a few people and not into the hands of small farmers that are spread across the country So you said that your family, you were born into farming, that your dad, your dad did some farming. So what are some of the challenges you saw him face when you were, when you were younger? And how does that, some of those struggles are passed on intergenerationally within small farming families? Yeah, so he struggled, you know, um, with those, with those agricultural policies that Mm -hmm. essentially, um, created especially in the 80s there was a a crisis in the um the dairy market where prices really just dropped bottom Mm -hmm. dropped out of that market and that was because of agricultural policies Mm -hmm. um that that kind of put these price supports into the system that encouraged farmers to overproduce in order to Mm -hmm. um, stay afloat and then and then essentially flooded the market and Mm -hmm. then the bottom dropped out and we actually have a similar situation today and and then the effects of that is that you, larger farmers are able to compete better under those circumstances. And the small farmers that are on the margins anyway are, are driven out of business in those sort of crashes. And mm-hmm. we're seeing that happen right now in the dairy industry again. Yeah, so I know we've talked about this in the past, but um, so you're surrounded, you live in Shelbyville, correct? Mm-hmm. So you're surrounded by dairy farms. What other farms are like in your vicinity? There's a lot of corn, corn and uh-huh. soybeans. Mm-hmm. Yep. Got it. Um, and then we've also talked about in the past, you know, pesticides, pesticide use being something that's very prevalent and that, you know, after your dad did dairy farming, he used pesticides for just his own personal garden. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about your personal experiences with seeing or experiencing pesticide use in your family or community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my dad was born in 1932, and he went into business with his dad when he was in his early 20s, and then his father died, mm-hmm. and leaving him with the farm. And that would have been in the, the mid-50s, right? Mm-hmm. Which was in that time after World War II, 
when there was this chemical revolution in agriculture mm -hmm. and pesticides and chemical fertilizers were really being pushed as like the latest, greatest, newest yes. innovations and farmers were being educated to use these substances and it was mm -hmm. really a campaign to get farmers to, to farm in this new way. And I just really could see how my dad, you know, he didn't have his father around when mm -hmm. he was learning to farm. You know, he had just gone into business with his dad when his dad died. And, mm -hmm. and so he, I could see how he kind of got raised into farming through this sort of industry. Yeah. And so he just accepted pesticides and chemical fertilizers as the way to go. And mm -hmm. so he definitely used them um, to some degree with the dairy business. But then when he retired, he decided to go into growing fruit, mostly just as a hobby, but he planted, mm -hmm. some people plant 10 trees as a hobby. He planted like yeah. 200. <laughs> and the first thing he did was call up his chemical representative and say, uh -huh. what should I spray on these trees? Yeah. And so he, he, and he also had this mentality of if a little is good, more is better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, um, he kind of went in wholesale for managing pests and diseases with, with some of the harshest chemicals out there because yeah. he figured those were the best. Yes, definitely. And, um, and he also did it without, um, appropriate protective gear because mm -hmm. he didn't really believe they were that dangerous. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, and there's, you know, I think this is some of the complexities of pesticides and measuring the effects of pesticides um, because they affect different people differently. They break down in our bodies differently and, yeah. and they combine in our bodies differently. Mm -hmm. So I don't, <laughs> my dad had neuropathy, mm -hmm. which means that his nerves were degrading. He didn't, yeah. you could stick pins in the bottom of his feet. He, he couldn't have any feeling in his hands and feet. And, um, his, his, he was undiagnosed. The doctors didn't mm -hmm. know why they thought it might be, it was, was, um, genetic. But one of the chemicals he was spraying was gathion, which is a neurotoxin, which has now been banned, um, completely taken off the market for all uses. And so I don't have, like, I don't have a diagnosis or an evidence <laughs> yes. that spraying this neurotoxin regularly without protective gear caused his neuropathy or made yeah. it worse. But I do think that it's not out of the question, right? To think oh, that if you're coating yourself with a neurotoxin, that is so dangerous that the EPA has now banned it from all uses and yes. your nerves are degrading, there might be a correlation. Some connection, there. yeah. I think so. there's been a lot done and a lot we still don't know about right. the effects of pesticides. Like if I, when I worked on a cherry farm, um, the old owner of the cherry farm, my friend's grandfather died of cancer and we think it was, they think it was because largely just like a ton of pesticide use and not proper equipment. Yeah. Um, they've also done some studies, you know, like agricultural health studies about um, the correlation between um, pesticide use and diagnosed with people being diagnosed with depression. That if you use certain pesticides, specifically they talk in this article about organochlorine insecticides, mm -hmm. that you are 90% more likely to be diagnosed with depression than those who haven't used it. Right. And this gathion that my father was using, among other things, was an organophosphate. And mm -hmm. so... Right, the organochlorides also right are affecting your nerves and yes. right your nervous system, which is tied into to, your, yeah your brain and right. all of so many all of that functioning. Yes, yes. Definitely.
Um, so your farm is completely organic, correct? You don't use... Yeah, we're not certified organic, uh -huh. but I use, I, I use all organic practices and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and we, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. There are some organic <laughs> or practices that are actually in substances that are allowed under yeah. organic certification that I also don't use. I uh -huh. choose not to use. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, so yeah. Yeah, so I was just wondering, like, what made, since your dad used them, you know, there's other farmers in your area who use pesticides, why did you specifically choose not to use them? You know, that's a really good question, and I think it has to do with kind of the reason that I uh, went into farming, mm -hmm. which for me is really a question of how do I be in good relationship with my ecosystem? Mm -hmm. How do I be in, how do I be in a good way in this web of life that I'm living in? Mm -hmm. And so, um, it didn't make sense to me to just like, you know, these, a lot of these pesticides are really broad spectrum. Like they kill yeah. they're you know, they kill, kill any insect. Right. Mm -hmm. And it didn't make sense. I didn't want to kill. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be in good relationship <laughs> yeah. with my yeah. ecosystem. I didn't want to kill things that I didn't have to kill, uh -huh. you know? And so I think that's why sort of that impulse is really what made me start to think about alternatives mm -hmm. or look at alternatives um to that yeah definitely i know from what i've heard you know some s small farmers struggle with you know going from using pesticides to switching over to organic have you seen any of that those conversations happening and you know small small farming communities yeah for sure and i you know um i I can tell you what I've seen on my farm, mm -hmm. which even, even, um, you know, I was, I, even when I started my fruit and vegetable business, mm -hmm. um, I was, I was farming organically, but I did sometimes still use certain, um, fungicides and pesticides that are allowed under yeah. organic certification. Like I would use sulfur mm -hmm. for, um, fungal diseases. I would use pyrethrums for certain insects. Yeah. And both of those are broad spectrum and, mm -hmm. and they're allowable. So they're not right as bad, quote unquote. Yeah. But the more that I started to learn about just like the ecological relationships, mm -hmm. the, the, and, and to start to kind of see what was happening in my gardens mm -hmm. and in, in the surrounding fields that I, I completely don't use any of that anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's because I see how, how, that disrupts this dance of life, this web of uh -huh. life. And even when I was kind of transitioning away from them, I would yeah. have moments where I'd like go out and I'd be like, oh no, I've got a bunch of bug damage in the yeah. Swiss chard. I better spray because CSA is coming. And I would go out and I'd be about to spray. Uh -huh. And then I'd see a praying mantis or I'd see some ladybug larva. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, my, my predators <laughs> are here. And if I spray this stuff, I'm going to kill my predators. Uh -huh. And then I'd be like, okay, well, have at it, guys. Like, <laughs> I'm going to let you yeah. see if you can take care of this problem mm -hmm. rather than me. And the more that I've done that, like, it's, it's kind of been amazing that the amount of, of, of pollinator insects and predator insects, and I really don't have a lot of the problems that I used to have. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the same thing with, you know, with fungal um, sprays. Like, you know, if I'm spraying f sulfur, like, one of the things that we've learned is how important 
fungi are in the soil, yeah. right? And helping plants access nutrients. Uh-huh. And if I'm putting a bunch of fungicides on and then they're dripping into the soil, yeah. like now I'm disrupting that food web, right? Definitely. And so I think what I've really learned is that um, to really do a better job of, uh, of assessing like how much damage can I sustain, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and to, it's okay to have some damage. Yeah. And in fact, I want some pest species to show up because Definitely. I need them to feed the predator populations. Yes. And if I don't have any pests, <laughs> my predators don't have any food, yes. right? And I, I need the predators to have a steady diet. Mm-hmm. So when I do have an outbreak, they're there to just glom, right? Yes. And just eat them all. So, and that's the other thing I like about shifting to growing seeds mm-hmm. rather than produce is that when I'm... When I have a pest outbreak, um, it can actually be a benefit when I'm growing seeds because right. I can see what plants are best able just through their genetics and the way they uh-huh. grow to withstand those pests. And those are the plants I take seeds from. Mm-hmm. So that, right, we, we, that's another sort of aspect that has been really neglected and we're starting to work on. The, the organic community, I think, is starting to really understand the difference between organically grown seeds uh-huh. and plants that have been bred and selected to do well under organic conditions, right? Right. right. So, so that's a really that's a really important um, aspect of thinking about moving away from chemical fertilizers and pesticides, mm-hmm. because the seed industry is so controlled by the chemical industries right. that the seed industry is really breeding uh, types of plants that are dependent on chemicals mm-hmm. and fertilizers. So if you're growing those plants, it's really hard to transition to organic because yeah. those plants don't know how to live without those substances. They're addicted to them, yeah. right? And so ha- I, that's one thing that feels really good to me to be a, in, in the seed uh-huh. business right now it, and trying to work on that level so that we have plants that we have stewarded in developing this ability to live without, which of course, you know, prior to, prior to these chemical revolutions, yeah. like all plants had to do that, right? <laughs> so yeah. it's not that far out of, mm-hmm. out of reach. Yeah, so uh, thank you so much for that. I, so kind of finishing up on this last question. So what do you think, what shift in culture do you think is needed to, so that we have, you know, a couple acres greener or, <laughs> <laughs> you know, lack of, you know, pesticides um, so how do we do this in a way that is healthy for our relationships to ourselves, our community, and the land? Like, mm-hmm. What do you imagine as a potential future? Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think it really is a culture shift, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think, it's hard to have just a couple acres greener without yeah. a larger shift, right? Yes. And case in point, right? Like one of the things that I'm struggling with right now is I've done so much work on my farm to create habitat for predator and pollinator insects. Uh-huh. And then... You know, the past two years, the state has, in response to equine, um, eastern equine encephalitis, has come and uh-huh. sprayed broad-spectrum insecticides oh. over vast a- acreages of our... So, like, we really do have to have a larger cultural shift yeah. so that we recognize that. And I think that is really recognizing that we are a part of the earth. Yes. We are connected to these ecosystems. Uh-huh. And when we put toxins into the when we spray toxins into the on our food onto plants on the soil in the air in the water they don't stay there they move around and we can't put poisons into the earth and not have them find their way into our own bodies Uh um 
that just doesn't work that way. We're a part of this whole system. Yes. And and if we're these these poisons will find their ways to us, mm-hmm. you know. And that also is a part of really realizing how we how we are interconnected as people as well. Uh-huh. You know, that and and actually learning to see how our own wellness and the wellness of other people is interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um you know, because I know a lot of people that are worried about pesticide residue on their food, but yeah. never think about the that level of pesticide residue versus the level of pesticide residue that farm workers are exposed to, yes. right? Which is yes. so much higher and so much more toxic. Mm-hmm. And um, so really recognizing that we're all, like, <laughs> we're all in this together, yes. you know? And, and, and caring about that, like, mm-hmm. right? about each other definitely well thank you so much for joining me on this podcast i really appreciated it you're welcome how do we do we did awesome (laughs) i am 